Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Father Robert Altier. He served in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis since his ordination in 1989. He's lectured throughout the Twin Cities and is best known for his EWTN series, The Fundamentals of Catholicism, and his great devotion to the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Father, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Deacon, for having me on. Uh, so you have the book published by uh, Sophia Press Institute that's coming out, or just came out. I can't remember the timing of it, but God's plan for your marriage. And we were just talking about before we got on, uh, it's always a good time to focus on marriage, but with the attacks on marriage, boy, we really need to focus on it and buckle down, don't we? Absolutely. It's, you know, again, uh, you know, Sister Lucia from Fatima said that the final battle between heaven and hell is going to be over over the marriage and family. And if we look at what's going on right now, the attempts to redefine marriage, redefine family, uh, all these bizarre things that are that are happening, and quite honestly, evil things that are happening, the attack is on on the family. And you know that's the family is the foundation for everything in our own individual lives as well as for the church and society. And and so for the good of of our children, for the good, of course, of the married people, for the church and society as well. It's absolutely a necessity right now to really put the focus on marriage. And that's, you know, you you look at the history of the church, and God always raises up people to come to the aid of whatever area is under attack. And so what the devil tries to do in destroying something, God brings good out of evil and actually makes it better. And and I think that's what we're seeing today, you know, with the lay theologians that we have. That's something that's never happened in the history of the church before. And, you know, when we look at marriage, obviously, it's between a man and a woman. And we have female theologians, which is another phenomenon we've never really had before. And so for women to be able to, to look at things from a feminine point of view, men to look at things of marriage from a masculine point of view and bring all these things together, you see the Lord working in the midst of all of this, and, and it's going to bring about a great deal of good for marriage and consequently then for the church and for society. Well, and if the devil's attacking something, you know it must be important. He's not going to waste his time attacking something that's not foundational. And, exactly. you know, you mentioned, and you mentioned it, right? Broken families. I mean, we see the effects of divorce and the, the tragedy of children being brought up at homes without mom and dad, especially biological mom and dad. Now, we know situations take place, but to do this on purpose and then pretend the kids are resilient and they'll get over it really is foolish because, you know, the studies, study after study shows that that's not the case. And the effects on children are enormous and lead to another generation of marriages that aren't strengthened, right? Exactly. And, and so, so, I mean, when I, when I would teach the kids, you know, I used to teach in high school and when I would teach the kids a marriage class, I'd go through some of these points, like you were just bringing up and I'd say, look, here are some things you need to look at. And if these are there, the question is, what are you doing to make sure that this isn't going to be passed on to your kids? You know, it's tragic that it's happening to you. But if you just leave it, it's going to get passed on to your kids. 
So before you think about getting married, make sure that you're getting the help you need to make sure that, that you've got something solid so that you can pass on the good things to your children. So and that's, you know, you, yeah. Yeah. And you say something early on in your book that, that really resonated and, and there were a lot of good things in the book and there's a couple of things I want to bring up because I think people should get this and it, Again, it, it does bring a focus to something very important. But you mentioned that there's four areas in which a marriage can be broken. And you may, you know, mention communication, relational, physical, and spiritual. And your book fo- focuses on the spiritual. But my question is, how can taking our eye off the spiritual affect those other three? Well, again, it's the foundation. Yeah. So the other three are very important. But it's like looking at a house and saying, okay, well, we could put a new roof on and we can put on new siding and put in new windows. But if your foundation's broken, the whole house is going to fall down. You know, fix the foundation first and then put the rest on. And, and so the, 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 if this is the foundation of your marriage, everything is going to be based on that. And so if the spiritual part is solid, everything else will follow from it. And if all you do is, is, is focus, not all, it's not important, but if what you do is focus on the other areas, you know, again, the house is going to look nice on the outside. It's a nice facade, but the foundation of it might well be in bad shape. And, and then the rest of it actually isn't going to be what it should be because it flows from the spiritual if it's going to, to be proper and, and functioning in, in the fullness of what it should. Well, and I'm sure you've seen it and, you know, I, I see it on a regular basis, marriages that seem like they're good marriages, but you know, mm-hmm. there's really no spirituality, you know, the family, the husband and wife don't pray together. So, you know, I think going along with your analogy of the house, it's almost like you don't see the cracks in the foundation until the home inspector comes, right? You're trying to buy something. And he notices it. But from the outside, marriages can look good and people can think things are going well. But if we neglect the spiritual and growing in our faith and growing together in that unity, it really does lead us to a position when something bad happens, that that crack in the foundation becomes very evident, doesn't it? Absolutely. Again, you, you look at it and you say marriage is first and foremost a spiritual union. And so if that union is not being built up, or if you want to look at it and say, if the spiritual part of the marriage is not being built up, then again, what happens to the rest of it? And as you're saying, if that, if it starts out as a small crack and then, and then becomes bigger, what's going to happen is that's going to start putting pressure on other parts of the house using that same analogy and other things are going to start breaking and cracking and, and so on. And, and so even if you're trying to communicate well and, and, and do other things in, in your marriage that, you know, the relational and physical aspects and so on, it's, it's, going to, it's going to start limping. It's going to start breaking if that foundation is not there. But if you can build up the spiritual, what will happen is that the love between the couple, especially flowing from their love for God, is going to grow and develop. That's going to flow into your communication. That's going to flow into the relational part. That's going to flow into the, into the physical part of the, of the relationship. And, and everything then, again, is not only going to be more healthy, if you look at it that way, but so much more beautiful 
and and doing exactly what the couple vowed to do that that they love one another and it's truly all of these things become a matter of living out that love rather than being something selfish or being something that's somewhat loving but not fully and and if we want to truly love the way that that a couple has vowed to do in marriage then you have to have that spiritual part there and and so to pray together to have your own prayer life, to pray together, obviously praying with your kids as well, developing that spiritual union so that the, the union of the souls is is the, the first priority in that sense in the marriage. Well, I mean, and the way you describe it, right, it's the lifeblood. And and if you don't have that, there really is no life in you. It's, it's like receiving the Eucharist, we hear, you know, the Lord tell us. Uh, we need mm-hmm. that lifeblood. We need those graces. And, you know, you mentioned praying together. Remember uh, Father Patrick Payton, you know, what, back in the 40s and 50s, the family that prays together stays together. And in your ministry, you know, you're as priest in the uh, diocese, Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, you see a lot of married couples. I mean, when they come to you and they're struggling, how many of them tell you that they're actually praying together? Oh, actually, a lot of them that are struggling don't pray together. Uh, the ones, the ones that do, thankfully, you know, they can, you know, they, they, it, it helps them through the troubled times. You know, even if you're praying together, God's actually going to allow some difficulties in order to purify the relationship, to make it more beautiful, to make it stronger. But sometimes you have to go through some struggles to get there. But with the prayer, they're able to handle that. But what I find with a lot of the couples, sometimes one will pray. The other doesn't, and as it goes through the troubled times, the one that doesn't pray some oftentimes just wants out. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's you know, and and it's like, well, what do you what do you mean you don't want to do this anymore? And you know, the other spouse that prays, of course, is is a hundred percent committed, but the one that doesn't, oftentimes they just they don't want to don't want to follow through. Well, and you know, you look at you look at marriage, and you know, I'm sure you've seen. I've talked to married couples before, and you know, if, it's the idea of we're supposed to be helping each other get to heaven, right? We grow in our faith. Mm-hmm. This isn't an individual sport where, hey, I made it. Sorry, you didn't you didn't quite get there. We're, this is a partnership with Christ in the middle, where we're trying to help each other grow in our faith, so that we can right live with the beatific vision. Exactly. And, and of course, remember, too, marriage is not a 50-50 pro, um, proposition. It's a 100-100 proposition. You give yourself away entirely. You receive the, the gift of the other person entirely to yourself. And, and so it's, it's not something that you can say, oh, well, should I, should I give more or should I, shouldn't I? Like, no. Like you said, this is two people working together to help one another to become saints to be able to help one another to get to heaven. And that's really, marriage is the prefiguration of heaven. Heaven is, in, in Scripture, many times our Lord talks about, you know, the marriage banquet, and, and ultimately talks about heaven as a marriage banquet. And so, for in, in Jewish terms, the marriage banquet is, is the marriage, not, not, the re, it's not the reception, as we might think of a marriage banquet. But but actually, the, the wedding itself, the marriage takes place in the context of that marriage banquet, which for them was a, a week-long celebration. And, and so that's what heaven is. It's a marriage. 
the marriage of the Lamb. We are all members, all who are baptized, are members of the bride of Christ, the church. And, of course, then Christ himself is the bridegroom. That's what it will be for eternity. And marriage is the prefiguration of that and the preparation for that. You know, so marriage ends at death, but that's because there's something even more profound, more beautiful, more intimate than the, than the union of the two. So it will be, assuming both get to heaven, they will be united, but not just the two of them, but with every other soul in heaven and all united with the Lord. And, and so, again, so beautiful, so profound when, when you look at it and then apply that to your own marriage. To look at this and say, gee, is this really a prefiguration of heaven? Is this what I want heaven to be like? Well, if it's not, then what are we going to do to get it there? Heaven is loving and being loved to the fullness of your ability for the rest of eternity. That's the vow that's made in marriage is to love one another. That's what we want to work on. And love, remember, is not an emotion. Love is a virtue. Love is seeking what's best for the other. It's serving the other. And so it's the opposite of selfishness. It's the opposite of using one another. So it's, again, like, like you said, Deacon, it's working together, building one another up, helping one another to become saints. Well, and if it was an emotion, right, about six months after marriage, everybody would be <laughs> It'd ended. be over. <laughs> in the end, when when that when that marriage bliss ends and reality sets in, boy, if you're not willing to fight for it, it's easy to just give up the ghost and move on. It absolutely, and you know, it's and if it was just based on emotions, yeah, it, marriage wouldn't last for very long. And yeah, and I say I say God, six months much deeper. Yeah, I say six months. My wife would have been out probably one. If it was based on just emotion, I probably irritated her right from the start. So I'm, I'm glad she had, a, you know, a strong faith and realized that, uh, you know, her trying to get to heaven means trying to drag me along too. Which uh, I'm, I'm mercifully grateful that she uh, has taken that under her wing of 30 plus years of marriage. So, uh, you know, really remember is- there, there, there are two ways of helping one another become a saint. It's a, the positive way, which is building one another up, pointing out one another's faults and charity, helping one another to grow. The other is the negative way. That's being so difficult, so horrible, so rotten that the other person has to be a saint just to live with you. So so if that's what you were doing for your wife early on, hopefully she's got you turned around now <laughs> and you're, you're doing it the other way. <laughs> well, I did tell her if she gets to heaven, uh, to put a good word in for me because I'm the reason she got there. I'm her purgatory. Absolutely. That, that Absolutely. shows to me, yes. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, even in the book title, it's, you know, an exploration of holy matrimony from Genesis to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So we hear about what marriage is in Genesis, but really, even at the fall, we see what marriage shouldn't be when we listen to the evil one, right? So it kind of, we see the pros and cons of what happened, the good when we follow the Lord, but the bad when we don't. Exactly. And, and so, you know, again, you, you look at marriage. Marriage was established by God before Adam and Eve fell. And in the nuptial blessing of the church's blessing of the newly married couple, there's a beautiful line in there that says marriage is the one blessing that was not forfeited by original sin or washed away in the flood. 
So you look at what God had initially created, most of that got all wiped out. But marriage and the dignity of the two persons who are married, that remains. And, and so, so when Jesus says that uh, in order to know what marriage is supposed to be, he said, you have to go back to the beginning. You know, when, when they asked him, you know, can, can a man divorce his wife for whatever reason? And they talk about Moses, but he said, from the beginning, this was not God's intent. So in order to know what it's supposed to be, we need to be able to go back and see what God intended from the very beginning. You see then what the devil did, as you pointed out, and, and what happens if we follow Satan's way and the chaos and the trouble that follows. But thankfully, in Christ, we have the grace. We have redeemed womanhood and redeemed manhood. And we have in a marriage the fullness of humanity that is united once again. And if the two are again working to make one another saints, then you have something very similar to what happened in the garden before the fall. Because the grace that we have now in Christ allows us to overcome the effects of original sin and to live the way that God intended it. Well, we have the example of the holy thing. Right? What better example can we have of what a family, what a marriage, what, what having Christ at the center should look like? So it's not like we haven't even been given the model for it. Sometimes we just ignore exactly. it on our own when we've really been given everything we need, especially that perfect example for us to strive for. Well, the difficulty is that a lot of people look at it and go, yeah, but Our Lady was without original sin and Jesus is God. So, you know, that's not like my family. Like, that's not the point. The point is that <laughs> look at how they live their life. Yeah, yeah, Mary did it perfectly and Jesus is God. You know, and of course, I jokingly always say, so if anything ever happened in the Holy Family that went wrong, everybody knew who to blame because poor Joseph was the only one that wasn't perfect. But this, uh, the, the, the point, though, is, is looking at the fact that it was Christ-centered, that everything was, was focused on, on the good of the other flowing from their love for God. And, and it was pure love between Mary and Joseph and, of course, with Jesus. And, and so that's what part of the point of marriage, that we can look to the Holy Family, not to be able to say, well, the woman in a marriage should be without sin, because that's not possible, but to be able to look at the love that is there. And, and you know, that love that, that comes out in service. Our Lady spent her entire life in the service of her son and his role as, as the Redeemer of the world. St. Joseph, of course, did the same. And, and so we can look at that and say, okay, how do I serve my spouse? How do I serve my children? Where's the selfishness that gets in the way? Because again, Our Lady and St. Joseph didn't have that. You know, we have to trust in the fact that St. Joseph was an extraordinarily holy man. He has said in Scripture, he's called righteous, which means he has achieved that sense of perfection in the spiritual sense. So therefore, you know, again, the selfishness is, is removed. He's able to love Jesus and Mary with his whole heart and soul and strength. And while, yes, when a couple gets married, most often they aren't at that point, the goal then is to work together to get to that point. So they truly love one another with their whole heart and soul and strength and continue to grow in that love all the way to the day that they die. 
Well, and, and, and we're supposed to be complementary, right? You know, male, female, we're not, we're not called to be equal and be able to do the same thing. We both bring different things to the marriage. But one thing we can do equally and should, right, is pick each other up when we fall down or when we struggle. We have confession, but we need our spouse to help brace us when we have those weak moments, to help bring us back and under, help us understand why we were married and, and the importance of this marriage, right? Right. Well, and of course, you know, traditionally they've always said opposites attract, and and so even even between the femininity and the masculinity that's there, you know, all, all those are on a, a spectrum, and and so it does tend to be that they uh, that they complement one another. But you know, so again, we have to make the distinction in what you're saying. You're absolutely correct. But as persons, we are absolutely equal. Uh, right. you know, we're both made in the image and likeness of God. The equality of, of male and female is absolutely equal. However, we do not have equal abilities. You know, women mm-hmm. women can multitask. They can do ten things at a time. Men can do one thing at a time. You know, it's just the the, the abilities. Some people are very musical, or some people are very athletic, or whatever. You know, our, our abilities are not equal, but as persons, we are. And so, within that complementarity of the husband and wife, usually what happens is that when one person is is down, the other person can be strong. And the one who's down can lean on that other one. And and then it, you know, it ebbs and flows with, with time and you rely on each other. Not only when you're down, but even as I was saying earlier, that point out one another's faults in charity. You see where the weaknesses of the other one are, and you try to help them with it. And, and so as, as a, a matter of, of love, helping that person to grow, being strong, being encouraging, and, and so using those gifts that are the opposite, you know, the, the very things that oftentimes drive people crazy in, in a marriage are the very things that attracted you in the first place, because they're the opposite of the way you do it. So rather than getting frustrated by that, see it as something that's good, that my spouse has the opposite abilities that I do, and therefore I need to learn to rely on my spouse in these areas. I need to get help from my spouse in these areas that I don't do well and have the humility to acknowledge that and, and, and then to have the charity for your spouse to be able to do that you know, for, for him or for her as uh, as in, in when, when you see their weaknesses. You know, you mentioned something into the book that, you know, really, really stuck with me. And, and you, we, you know, when we go to our particular judgment, you talk about how a significant amount of the focus of that judgment will be on our marriage. And we tend to think of all these other things, but it, that marriage is so close to home. Sometimes we can't see the forest from the trees, but you're reminding us that, you know, we entered this union, we've made this promises, we talked about Christ being at the center. So that will be a major focus at our judgment. And we really need to let that sink in, don't we? Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, we, we tend to look at it and say, well, the marriage is there. I've got all these other things to look at. It's like, um, no, the marriage is your vocation. God called you to that. It's a vocation. It wasn't just you making a choice of the, I think I'd rather be married. It's God called you to marriage. He called you to that in order to make you a saint. And so it is the living out of the duties of your state in life in a particular way that are going to make you a saint or fail to make you a saint. 
And, and so the duties of your state in life for those who are married are all of those things that come with being a married person uh, and a husband or a wife and parents and, and so on. And, and that's where the focus really needs to be. Again, look at where the priorities are. You know, God called you to this and you made a vow to love this other person. That in a very specific way is what you're going to be held accountable for. And by love, it doesn't mean, oh, yeah, I guess I I love my spouse. That's nice. I mean, are you truly serving this person? Are you dying to self so the other person can live? And that's a two-way street. Again, you know, that's what both are supposed to be doing and and really seeking to, to pour yourself out, as Jesus did for his spouse, the church, and as the church does for her spouse, our blessed Lord. And we're down to the last couple of minutes. I knew this was going to go by really quickly, but a reminder to you know all of us is that children are like sponges, right? If we want our children to have good marriages, we need to model that for them because if we're expecting society to show it, then we're going to have the same train wrecks continue to happen and happen. So what do you hope people will take away from getting this book and, and, and what do you want them to say after they read it? How do, should it change their marriage? Well, first of all, again, to recognize what the union in marriage is, that it's the union of the souls. It's a spiritual union. And okay, if that's the truth, and it is, what flows from that? How does this work? And that's the piece that people have missed. For 2,000 years, we've missed that. And, and, that's, and, and so we need to get to the spiritual foundation so that the marriages are not just simply solid, they are holy. And that's, that's, that would be my desire for married people to, to have that solid foundation, but built upon that solid foundation is the holiness of the marriage. So everything else flows from it. You know, we talked earlier about the relational and the communicational and the, and the physical, all that flows from the spiritual again. So, so if, if that part can be in place and for people to see what the dignity of marriage is, it is not a second or third way of marriage of life. If you're not good enough to be a priest or a nun, you can be married. That's nonsense. Marriage is holy. It is a vocation. It is a way of saints. And that's what I would want people to see, the dignity of it, and then to be able to embrace it and to live it. Well, it's not a sacrament because the Lord was just trying to get to seven. So it is important. (laughs) How can people follow what you're doing, Father? They can follow on Holy Trinity Parish in South St. Paul at Catholic Parents Online is where the homilies get, get put up. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.